Welcome back to Zoo Notable. I'm PJ with ZooFit, and we have a great special guest. Again, one of my favorite types, a local author. <laughs> <laughs> and also, again, celebrating my my favorite month, uh, World Oceans Month, and um, a local author that wrote an amazing book about life here on the Salish Seas. Some of us know, you know, as the Pacific Northwest, well, we live in a very specific area called the Salish Sea, which is includes uh, pretty much, again, Tacoma all the way up to Whidbey Island, where I've lived, and Bellingham, where I've lived, and where our guest today lives, Iris Graville. Um, she lives in uh, the San Juan Islands, one of my favorite places in, here in Washington. So, <laughs> Iris. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. And really nice to chat with you, PJ. And yeah, I agree that this is one of the most beautiful places in the United States. And I feel really fortunate to to live on the Salish Sea and on Lopez Island in the San Juan Islands. And of course, uh, the Salish Sea goes all the way up into British Columbia. So it's, it's quite a, an expanse. Yeah. So last year, I was rummaging kind of rummaging through the Village Books upcoming events. And Village Books, for those of you who don't know, it's uh, it's an amazing um, local bookstore up in Bellingham. It's three floors of just amazing books. And they do, they love our local authors. And so one of the events was coming up was with Iris and her new book, Writer in a Life Vest. And again, being a ocean loving mm -hmm. um, human myself I was like writer in a life vest so I checked it out and this book is 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 just it's really it's really well done um again Thank you. and I got a chance to see you but I didn't get a chance to meet you so I'm 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 thrilled that I get a chance to actually meet you maybe not face to face but <laughs> but actually get a chance to talk to you and also I like the fact that I got to, I'm getting to talk to you after I've read it. So I, I, uh -huh. I came to the event and I was like excited about the book, but I hadn't actually read it yet. So this is, this is my favorite thing to do is talk to the author after reading the book. I love that opportunity too, to talk to somebody after they've read it. And, and, and like you, often the people I talk, talk to at events, they haven't read the book yet. So uh, this is a special treat. I, I really am grateful that you um, got in touch with me after you had read the book. Yeah, the, again, love to again love to connect with other writers. I am, I try to be a writer <laughs> myself. Mm -hmm. I've been working on a memoir. I still don't have a title for it yet, but mm -hmm. um, it's about my time. I've, I've worked with animals most of my life and the animals have taught me just amazing life lessons. And when I really pay attention to the way that uh, these animals can teach us, it can actually help really change, change our lives for the better. So again, uh, make our, help us choose healthier uh, options, um, help us to take better care of ourselves, to slow down, to provide that self-care. And those are, so that's what I'm actually writing about is not just... <laughs> working with the animals, but those lessons that the animals can teach us um, by, right. by working with them. Right, um, right. They are marvelous teachers, aren't they? Yes, and I just love like the, the life lessons that you share about, again, animals in a, in a different capacity. So Rider and Lifeless, 
let's let's get into this. So this book is is not it, it's a it's it's a series of essays, but they're all really connected. It's almost like a, again, like I I felt like a trail of your <laughs> of your experiences, kind of going from one topic to the other. But it's all about starting off as your your process a little bit and this unique opportunity that you were given and then it goes into your experiences and your hopes and your and your commitment to the Salish Sea. So why don't you tell us a little bit about about this? Sure. Well, it, the essay collection had its origins in an, an idea that I had about how to write about, express my concern for the Salish Sea and all, all the life in the Salish Sea um, and particularly the southern resident killer whales that are greatly endangered. And having lived in the on Lopez Island for close to 30 years, I, I spend a lot of time on the Washington State ferries, which I love. I love traveling from the mainland to the islands on this um, phenomenal ferry system that we have. So when I was, I had written a memoir that was uh, published in 2018, and as I was thinking of my next writing project, I knew that I wanted to write about what was happening to the Salish Sea, the threats to it and all of its life um, due to the climate crisis. And I thought, well, what better place to write about this region than on, on the ferry, which is something that I have often done when I've been traveling on the ferry is to use that as writing time. So you and, and many of your listeners are probably well aware that there are writing residences all over the country where writers are uh, invited to be in some place uh, where they can be focused on their writing. And I thought, well, why not a writer's residency on the ferry, for specifically the inner island ferry that just travels among the San Juan Islands. It never goes to the mainland. It just goes from San Juan Island to Orcas to Shaw to Lopez and back around. And since it just keeps going around this inner island route, um, you can stay on there all day if you want. <laughs> so I proposed to the Washington State Ferries that I be the first writer in residence on the inter island ferry and they agreed to it. And so for one or two days a week for a year, I rode and wrote on the, the ferry. I also did a lot of reading and learning, studying about the Salish Sea and the Southern Resident Killer Whales. You know, just, just being able to have that view on the water and going to the different islands and the study that I did really put me in touch with some of the concerns that I, that I have. As you know well, our environment is so threatened by the changes in the climate. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that this collection would have some heavy parts. Um, I wanted to tell about some of the, the dangers and some of the threats to life in the Salish Sea. And that's hard to read. It's hard to write about. And so I thought that by uh, doing this residency and writing it, some about some essays about what that was like would provide some lightness to pretty heavy subject matter as well. So I ended up with 36 essays that I divided into six different sections. And some of the sections are about the the inner island ferry, which is the the Tillicum is the, the vessel that's used for that route and what it was like to be the writer in residence. And then there's a section 
uh, all the essays are devoted to the Salish Sea. Another section is devoted to the orcas or the southern resident killer whales. And then I did a, a section of, I really experimented with um, some different uh, forms in this collection. And so I have uh, one section that's uh, called Conversations and Correspondence, Real, <clears throat> Real and Imagined. We can talk more about those particular essays, but I, I wrote about some uh, different people who have really made an impact on our understanding about climate change and the environment and the sea and did that in, in some different kinds of forms. And then I ended with a section about hope, trying to bring us back to the signs of hope for protecting and preserving the environment. So that's that's uh, quite an overview for you, I guess, of the, the collection. <laughs> it is quite it is quite a collection. I uh, so again for all my listeners that are watching, which is nobody. Um, I just I have a whole ton a ton of notes from things that again that really struck me as kind of very interesting. First of all, I love your use of quotes throughout the book. Mm -hmm. It's really you have I mean some really powerful powerful statements. Um, I love this idea of, of using, again, the transportation and something like the Inner Island Ferry. For those of you who are not familiar with the, with the Washington Ferries, we have an amazing, amazing system here that's unlike any other that I've ever experienced, connecting some of the islands that are right off the coast and also even some of the areas that were just separated by water rather than building this enormous gigantic bridge or making everyone like drive all the way around the the whole state just to get from one point to the other we've created the washington state created these ferries that can load up maybe again some of the some of the ferries can load up quite a few like up to a hundred cars and then travel right across the sound right across the Salish Sea and deposit you where you want to be <laughs> right it's um, it, and I one of it was one of the things that I loved about Washington when we first moved here mm -hmm. it was like again the first time I experienced ferry I'm like this is amazing I can get to an island really mm -hmm. easily this is it was really one of, again one of the things I just loved about Washington yeah this, and, uh, our, and it is the largest uh, ferry system in the entire country so um, it's it is unique uh, in addition to being a beautiful way to get around and it, again it's a beautiful way to get around and if you're like me you like the ocean then this is again mm. it, I just remember once in a while I would take the um, I would take the Coopville ferry from mm. from Coopville and Woodby Island to Port Townsend, and um, I would sometimes see whales. I would see mm -hmm. I would always see seals almost every time, but on, a, on rare occasions I would see the whales on uh, going to and fro. So it's again it's. It's just, it's an amazing thing. And I just, I love the fact that you really, again, embrace this and that you took something that, you know, two passions that you love, your writing and then the Salish Sea, and you combine the two of them. Mm -hmm. so you're writing about the Salish Sea, but you're also writing on, <laughs> the, Salish, <laughs> on the Salish Sea. So right. again, that's really what drew me to this, 
to this book in the first place. And I love how you wrote about this. For me, I also like really reading about your, your writing process and mm-hmm. your experience on the ferry. The other big thing, again, you mentioned you have this whole section and a lot of sections about our non-human residents here in the in the Salish Sea. They're one of the most iconic animals um, in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, and they're a big draw. They, you know, and and they're so iconic and yet and yet they are struggling. Right. And um, and they're 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 just a really special animal. Of course, we're talking about the orcas or the the killer whales, the southern resident killer whales. I uh, went through the the whale museum uh, marine naturalist training program as a way to learn more about this place that I call home. And a part of that, the last day of that course, it did involve a whale watching trip which I went on, we did not see any whales that day. As you know, from seeing them, they are such remarkable uh, animals and what they have to teach us and what I have learned uh, about them. And speaking of how, how much they can teach, I mean, they, they really um, are incredible with the ways they communicate and protect and live together uh, in their pods. Um, they really provide an example of how to, to live. <laughs> and, and they really are in danger by many of our human actions, um, including dams that interfere with the, the run of salmon and the availability of Chinook or King salmon and the noise and disturbances from big vessels particularly fuel tankers and and smaller vessels, um, recreational boats that get too close um, can really interfere with the orca's communication and their ability to uh, locate food and, and communicate with other, other whales in their pod. As you know from your work with animals, it's quite something when you are in the presence of an animal that is as large as a mammal, in particular as large as the southern residents. I, I feel really fortunate that I, I have been able to, to see them in the wild and really have an appreciation for who they are and what, what, they, what they can teach us. Oh, yes. And, and the other thing about our, and we, again, um, I do believe that Many Washingtonians, they do call them our. <laughs> our yes. They're, we're very, I don't want to call us possessive, but we're very proud of them. They are, you know, they're, again, they're so iconic. But uh, these particular orcas are the most studied wild orcas in the world. They're, you know, they're, they're found in almost all oceans. They can be found down in Antarctica. They can be found up in near like Russia. They are found around all oceans, but the ones that we have here in the Pacific Northwest, particularly here in Washington, are the most well-known to researchers and so documented that, uh, that they all have, you know, individual identifications the researchers can identify them on site they they know them so well and they're so well known that the general public has given them 
you know, they have their identification numbers, but then we've mm -hmm. given them names that will really help represent. I really think that's an important distinction. And I mm -hmm. think that one of the reasons why we care so much is that these animals are not just an orca that is found here in the Pacific Northwest. This is J57. This is Scarlet. This was you know, right. Scarlet. This is Eclipse. They have they they have a personality. They have a connection. We are connected to them, and that is probably key. That I honestly think that's one of the key things that's going to help save the orcas is that we are connected. They are named. They are our. Um, they're our resident orcas. So right. I really loved all the information that you gave about these, about the orcas. And I did mention a couple of them. Uh, right. Scarlet was a, was a tough one <laughs> for, yes. sure for you to write. And again, a, a really strong proponent of why we need to do, we need to change some of the ways so we can help protect this species. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Sure. First, I wanted to say that I appreciate you talking about the naming of the whales. And I, I struggled a little bit with how to do that uh, in this collection because respect the taxonomy that scientists use, which is letters and numbers, um, so that for each whale, you know, the southern resident killer whales are in, they live in pods or families, and there's J, K, and L pods. And so that letter is really important to know which family um, mm -hmm. a whale is in, and then they're numbered in, in their birth order. But when you're writing about them and, you know, for the, the general public, J50 doesn't have nearly the same emotional impact, I think, as talking about Scarlet, for example. So in these essays, I used both, and it can be a little bit clunky, but I just felt that I both wanted to respect the the scientific naming because that is very important um, mm -hmm. for the people that are, you know, working very hard to protect these whales. And then the common names that people su suggest and that are chosen are really important too. And Scarlet was uh, J50 and she got the name Scarlet because there were rake marks on her body shortly after she was born in, in December 2014. And the biologists think those rake marks were sign of a, a difficult birth with other members of the pod serving like midwives and helping to pull her out of her mother, who was J-16. Scarlett kind of captured their hearts because she loved to do that breaching and, and leaping in the water. And um, there are plenty of photographs, uh, and if you've ever seen that of this huge mammal, glorious, <laughs> leaping out of the water and, you know, breaching into a curved shape. And apparently Scarlet really loved doing that. But when she was uh, about four years old, that spunkiness started to fail. And she'd always been small and she started to show more and more weight loss. Biologists were really concerned about her and they've been trying to figure out what what to do uh, when orcas do seem to have failing health. So Scarlet was first whale that they actually tried to, to treat um, mm -hmm. in the wild when, when they could see that she was failing. And I, I have this uh, essay called Tenacious Scarlet 
that recounts the the story of uh, some veterinarians who, for the very first time, did try to treat her in the wild. Linda Mapes, a reporter for the Seattle Times, who has written a, a fabulous book that's a collection of, of pieces she's written over the years about the orcas, wrote a, a fabulous story recounting um, that that experience of these veterinarians going out to her and and trying to treat her with uh, medication. And sadly, it didn't work. And she just became more and more emaciated. So that was a real loss. And, and because she had been so, I mean, these whales have personalities, and she had been so tenacious, uh, even though she started life pretty rough. There were a lot of people that I think really felt her her death deeply. So that's that was tenacious Scarlet, who you know that was a another name people gave to her, another adjective people used to describe her. It was. I feel like you did a, a just. A, I do feel like you did a fabulous job. It did not feel clunky to me. Um, again, mm -hmm. maybe it's a, a factor of that I am used to these <laughs> to these mm -hmm. and i am used to hearing them by their name and by their number too but yeah it, it felt really poetic reading your reading your pieces um oh, thank and you. i like this one one part that you you share and when you're writing about uh the salish sea and the vowels for the salish sea mm -hmm. you Again, and this is important, folks. Again, uh, I, so often I I do come across people like, oh, I don't want to know about that. It's too it's too upsetting. But I like one of your vowels, and I actually I I, I highlighted the entire <laughs> the entire part. <laughs> there there is a piece called again the vowels for the Salish Sea. The whole list is amazing, starting with I will watch the Salish Sea and the life she supports with reverence and wonder. That's that. That struck a chord with me, but the one that I really, I really like is I will not avoid the bad news about the perils of the southern resident whale's face, nor this is the important part, nor accept they're inevitable. Um, mm -hmm. So again, just because we are focused, just because we are listening, and this because we are learning about the things that are threatening, you know, not just the ocean but the entire planet. Just because we are learning about that and just because we are facing that does not mean that it's inevitable that this uh that the planet is doomed um, mm -hmm. but i do think i like that important distinction there and there's also again i think that whole list is not just a great way again a vow a commitment to protecting what we love so much but it's also ways that we can take care of ourselves watch with wonder reverence mm -hmm. and wonder and, and I, I i just wanted to point out too that when i was writing that piece you know i was kind of relating it back to my own marriage vows and how typically in marriage vows we, we talk about the things that we will do and i realized that it's equally important to promise to not do certain things um which you read one of those about i will not avoid the the bad news mm -hmm. and, and I will not take for granted all, all the wonder of this uh, body of water. But, you know, we all know so much about our human impact um, on the environment. And so I, I, 
I felt it was important to acknowledge that not only are there things we need to commit to, I will do, but there are some things we've got to stop doing. And uh, we have to commit to not doing things that are harmful. So it was a little different twist, I guess, on the marriage vows. And that is true. I never really thought of it. Yeah, with marriage vows, we do make promises of what we will do. But then again, in my my life, again, one of the lessons I've learned is that sometimes the best thing for us, like even for our own health, is to let go of the behaviors that aren't serving us. And and, mm -hmm. and the same thing goes for, I, I mean, literally, I believe the same thing goes for the environment. And again, any behavior that just letting go of that one little thing that just isn't serving us. Mm, right. And, yeah, you, you give us quite a few, but again, that but that in and of itself is again showing that it's not just what we were going to promise to do but the the what what are, what are some small changes that we can make and um it was tragic to hear about scarlet again that serves as a i don't want to say like maybe her death can can be a wake-up call but um it does serve as a really strong reminder of like again our actions do have consequences and mm. whatever our actions are no matter where we are, they do have consequences. And, and these animals are so important, not just because they're beautiful to look, oh, they are striking. <laughs> they, are, right. they are breathtaking to see. But they are the apex predator. They are the keystone species. If we lose the orcas, folks, we're not going to have a very healthy Salish Sea. And, uh, and what that can mean to the fishing, what that can mean to, you know, to recreational boating. Um, that's, it would, it would be, could be a, a tremendous downfall for the economy mm -hmm. if we lose, if we lose the whales. Do have a, I don't want it to be controversial, but I struggle with, with this as well. And um, you, you mentioned in the vows, we also mentioned it a few other times about the whale watching vessels. I, I struggle with this too, because I do recognize you actually even put in a statistic that I didn't even realize this. 40 million to $55 million was generated by a whale watching tour industry in 2015. That's insane. I did not, um, I did not realize it was that, it was that high. That is, again, this puts a, a tricky, <laughs> a tricky twist to this. I also think that we need to be careful with the ecotourism. Yes, I want people to be able to see them, see the whales. Where do you find the balance? Like again, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a tough one, and there are some. There are very responsible, respectful people in the whale watching industry who share as deep a concern and commitment to protecting the Salish Sea and the Southern residents as I or anyone else, if, if not even more because of their knowledge and their experience. There are many of the whale watching businesses that are very much uh, involved with protecting the whales and advocating for and supporting the various uh, protections that have been put in place about staying a, a safe distance from from uh, whales, particularly southern resident killer whales who are, are just much more susceptible to the noise from those boats. It's hard to 
quantified, but certainly private boat owners, um, not commercial, you know, are not always as aware of mm -hmm. the impact that the noise of their boats can have, uh, particularly on whales that are, are hunting for salmon to feed themselves and, and others in their pod. You know, that's been a really important effort on the part of commercial whale watching businesses and others in the environmental community, protection community, to do all that is possible to keep keep those hazards uh, to an absolute minimum. And I know that uh, for a lot of people, being on a seeing a southern resident killer whale and other other forms of life in the Salish Sea from a whale watching boat, you know, it is a life changing experience for them, just as, as you have found in your work and people find in going to zoos, it, it can be quite impactful uh, for people to actually see these animals in the wild or in a habitat that is, you know, as close to the wild as possible. So it's not an easy, <laughs> yes or no kind of a thing. And and for me to go on a whale watching trip um, as part of the Marine Naturalist Training Program really gave me a lot to think about. And I did try to express that in a couple of different ways uh, in, in the essays and in, in a poem as well. So um, it's something everybody I think has to wrestle with, and wrestle with and come to the conclusion about what makes sense, sense for them and how to how to have that be as positive as possible. Yeah, thank, thank you for that. I, again, this is something I struggle with. And when I first moved out here, of course, got excited and I did I did a whale watching tour and I felt, you know, again, the awe of seeing the animals and again, not just the orcas, but seeing all the animals and seeing them in their natural environment. It was, it was again, a really moving experience for mm -hmm. me. But at the same time, I felt like at one point when we first saw the whales, there were about 10 other boats of, of whale watching vessels. And they were all following the, the letter of the law. You know, we were all a proper distance from the whales. But it just seemed like these are not animals that are, again, they're not zoo animals. They are impacted by our presence. And mm -hmm. what was, what were, what was I doing contributing to this? You know, was I keeping them from their salmon? Was I keeping them from each other? Was I keeping them from, you know, interacting with it, with other, with other whales? So it would, it just made me think. And I, and I, I really appreciate your, your explanation, your, your take. And it, it is, it is a very personal thing. If folks, if you, if you, my, I guess my, my takeaway from that is just do your homework <laughs> is, 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 mm -hmm. You know, do your homework, and if it's something that is important to you, and if it would, you feel like it would change your life, then then make the you know, you, we can make it happen in an ethical and sustainable way, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. then um, and then let that let that experience motivate you, inspire you to do to do more to again mm -hmm. to give hope as you have that last section of your book um, dedicated to. Mm -hmm. I really did love your, I want to end with hope, but I also want to talk about, you have, again, definitely have some uh, role models <laughs> mm -hmm. that 
it's very apparent. Uh, Rachel Carson, I would say, is is a is a great role model. Um, you have right. an, an, an imagined you know conversation with Rachel, and then you also do an imaginary like moderation between conversation between Rachel Carson and Greta Thun Thunberg. Um, right. Which, uh, again, I really was tickled to to read that, especially because you use specific actual quotes for your answers to these questions. So if you want to learn a little bit more about Rachel herself, this is a, a really great one. Uh, that whole section was really, really well done. Well, thanks. It, it was fun to do. I had to kind of reverse engineer my, I call it a posthumous interview with Rachel Carson, because I, you know, I, I read a lot of her work while I was working on this book. And you know, 50 years later, it's just astonishing uh, what her prescience of, you know, what she was trying to express to people in the 1960s. And, and it's like, well, nobody can say it better than she can. And fortunately, she wrote a lot. So there was a lot to choose from in her own words. And I thought, well, now, what question could I ask her if we were talking <laughs> that would prompt her to answer with some of these things <laughs> that she had written. It was it was a, a fun way to do it. And, and it also felt like a little bit of a way to kind of pay her respect because she certainly didn't get it uh, in her lifetime. And, um, and yet she made such a huge contribution to our understanding about, you know, caring for the earth mm -hmm. and, um, and the, the sea in particular is what I drew from her work. And then when I had her in conversation with Greta Thunberg, you know, two generations, whatever, three generations later, it was just really fun to, again, use words, uh, quotes from Greta, who has written yes. a bit, has been interviewed a lot, and, you know, there was a lot to choose from there. And to just think of the two of them meeting each other today and Greta being able to to learn from Rachel Carson and, and Rachel Carson being able to acknowledge, you know, what contribution Greta is is making has made. So it, it was it was just a, a fun way to explore, you know, those those areas. Oh, I thank you for sharing that, too, because it was a really fun, almost a fun little interlude between mm -hmm. the, um, the kind of the heavy topics but still, again, inspiring us to, again, just we need to do what we can to make a difference. Um, so your last section here is called Hope. And I am, if you don't mind, I'm going to read that, what, that quote that's, uh, that opens up that, mm -hmm. that segment sure. uh, by Joanna Macy. The biggest gift you can give is to be absolutely present. And when you're worrying about whether you're hopeless or hopeful or hopeless or pessimistic or optimistic, who cares? The main thing is that you're showing up, that you're here and that you're finding ever more capacity to love this world because it will not be healed without that. Again, just showing up, um, that reminds me, I have, I've shared a story of the hummingbird many times. It's uh, it's I think it's actually Clinked story, but, uh, mm -hmm. but it's the story of a hummingbird that's puts that's helping put up a forest fire one single oh. bead at a time. And when finally asked what, what they're what the hummingbird's doing, 
she says, I'm doing what I can. She's showing up. She's doing what you can. And again, stop worrying about, is it going to be enough? Just, just do what you can. You also have a lot of great actions for us to take too. Uh, lights, camera, action. <laughs> <laughs> but my favorite one is this, what I, I love to do anyways. Take number seven, take number eight. Go outdoors in all seasons and all types of weather. Smell, taste, touch, watch, and listen to the natural world around you. And yes, that is a very strong action that I, um, that I agree will, will help. What I call, I call it passive conservation. The more you mm. experience nature, whatever that is. Of course, for me, that's the ocean. That is being near the water. But if that's the mountains, if that's the forest, if that's the desert, you know, go there, get connected, do this, have the smells, the, all that sensory experience. And uh, the more that you go there, the more that you will, you'll find that appreciation. And, uh, and the more we'll want to keep that around for, for ourselves on a selfish level, but even for our future generations. So it mm -hmm. is a big action. Right. Yeah. I, I'm glad you uh, selected that one because, and it really does fit in with that hummingbird story as well as we underestimate, I think, how, just how important it can be for us to be present through all of our senses to this world around us. And, and like you said, that sometimes that is what we can do. And we, we never know, who knows what, what impact that might have. But um, if that's what we can do, we need to do it. Do you have a, a personal favorite action that you like to take? Oh boy. Well, you know, I think that one is, is really important to me as well uh, of just really appreciating what the environment has to offer, not taking any of it for granted and recognizing the, the beauty and the power and the, the wisdom. The best way to do that is to be out in it and not just on a beautiful day. <laughs> um, one of my favorite places to go on Lopez is Iceberg Point, which it, the wind is always blowing there. And even And even on really stormy days, um, I find it a, a really important nur nurturing, nourishing kind of place to be because I really get in touch with the power of, you know, this, this natural world around me. And then when I see firs that have, you know, nearly bent to the ground from the power of that wind, I, mm -hmm. and see places that have eroded from the waves, you know, it reminds me of, of the fragility too, that both the power and the fragility. And so I, I think that that one about just being out in it is, is one of the important ones. And, and the first one uh, that I listed was learning all you can, however you can about what it is that's around you. And, and that was one of the things that motivated me to put together an essay collection was that I realized, even though I I've lived in the Pacific Northwest for over 40 years, and I've lived on Lopez for nearly 30, just how much I didn't know about, about this home. And boy, the more you learn, the more committed. I, I mean, I think mm -hmm. you can't help but be just even that much more committed to protecting it and protecting all the, the history of the peoples before us and, and learning from that. So I guess I uh, 
go with the first first action and the last action on the list. <laughs> I I do agree with you. I, I I feel like again, always learning is just I'm I'm never too old to to learn just a little bit more. I feel very lucky to have, you know, again being in this area and have this book to read. And I also feel, you know, a little little nostalgic after reading this mm -hmm. too. I have an amazing opportunity coming up with me, but up, up for me. But I am going to miss the Pacific Northwest. I refer to the Space Needle sometimes as the mothership. That <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, what, one thing that I learned uh, so deeply during this project that I offer to you as you go to another island is just how interconnected we are though even you know you'll be in hawaii and that's uh feels like a long way away from the pacific northwest and yet you know these waters are all all connected and and so much of the life is interconnected and and i certainly understood that in a newer deeper way through this project and I, I hope that same thing for you that you will not only have a great opportunity to experience a new place but i, I bet it will reinforce for you that you're still connected <laughs> yeah <laughs> i definitely feel that damn what an amazing book if you are uh if you're interested in the ocean if you're interested in learning about again writing the writing process this you know, writer in a life vest. This is such an, a, a great collection of essays. A really, really a wonderful writer. Iris, thank you so much for joining me. <laughs> oh, you're very welcome, and thank you for for the invitation. It's it was really a pleasure to talk with you, and I look forward to to hearing more. Are you going to keep doing your podcast? Uh, I you am. Oh, good, <laughs> good. So I can still hear what you're up to. <laughs> There'll be a little transition, trying some new things out. And I'll, but yes, I love doing this. So <laughs> we'll continue on. Uh, excellent. It's uh, a great way to introduce people to things that you're reading and mm -hmm. that, that you think you know that speak to you and you think will resonate with other people so i'm glad you're going to keep keep doing yeah. that and i'm going to keep listening <laughs> well and on that same note iris uh, do you have anything in store uh, for the future as well well right now i'm trying to recruit another uh writer in residence on the inner island ferry we did select another person after i finished uh my term and she was able to do it for a few months and then COVID hit and so it's really been on hiatus, but I'm feeling that it's time to try, you know, to seek another person who will ride and write on the ferry, you know, totally volunteer kind of a thing. And yeah. uh, so that's that's one of my efforts is to figure out how to get the word out to people and encourage someone else or, or maybe, you know, people to do a six month term. I do, I first of all think that writing around nature kind of helps our creative process. And then having this little like of a focused time to do your writing. So it's almost like you're training your muse to show up like, oh, I'm on the boat. Now yeah. it's, time, it's time to write. It really also helps. So if you're interested in uh, how would they, how can they get in contact with, uh, with you or with Liz? Um, 
my website might be the best way. Uh, it's um, irisgravel.com. And, you know, I'll certainly post some things there and uh, encourage people to get in touch with me if they're interested. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, if you would like to, if that kind of piques your interest, you want to be a writer in residence, you want to get, mm -hmm. that, get that book done yeah. <laughs> or finish a project. Uh, this is, I, I, again, I think this is a great opportunity. In fact, if I wasn't moving to Hawaii, I might be, <laughs> I might take you up on, on that. That would have been amazing, amazing yeah. opportunity for me. Well, Iris, thank you so much for joining me. Best of luck to you for keep on writing and keep on connecting to the Salish Sea and we'll keep on, we'll stay connected too. Good. Thank you so much. And the best to you as well. All right. <laughs> take care.